Welcome to No Challenges remaining on day 10 of the Australian Open. They're all blurring together. End of day 10, although getting in towards the morning of day 11. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined live from Melbourne by my dear friend Nick McCarville. Nick, hello. Thank you for being on. I mean, Ben, it's actually almost about to be day 11 in Australia because we are, we've are we been living in the future yeah, exactly. this whole time. Right? That's what I was saying. That's what I was saying. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's close to midnight. It's about 11.33 as we're recording this. Melbourne time, PM, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas and Rafael Nadal are still on court in their quarterfinal, the last quarterfinal of the tournament, but we're going to look ahead to the semifinals already and then talk about some quarterfinals as well on the way. Uh, let's start with the women who finished several hours ago, I think we can talk about fully. The two women's semifinals are the blockbuster of Naomi Osaka versus Serena Williams, and then probably the undercard, it's fair to say, but still interesting match of Carolina Mukova and Jen Brady. So three of the four women who were in the U.S. Open semifinals in Osaka, Serena, and Brady are back in the Australian Open finals. So, Nick, is this consistency in women's tennis, dare I say? Yeah. Dare I say? Dare dare you say it? Absolutely. You know, you look at especially, I think, for Serena and Naomi being able to back up those runs at the U.S. Open. I mean, obviously, Naomi won her, her third slam there. I think for Jen Brady, this is the kind of consistency that we were wanting and and hoping for in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I, I've just been impressed more, Ben, not only with backing up from the U.S. Open, you know, the French Open was somehow sandwiched in between, but the fact that yeah. they've played such great tennis, you know, Jen Brady lost her first set of the tournament against Jessica Pagula. And Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams are only getting better as the tournament goes. So that to me is actually the bigger storyline is that these three players are are playing such great tennis into the final four. I think of like the wow, she's playing great tennis reactions that I have. The most emphatic one of that group that I have is for Serena, because Serena has had two really big wins in the last from the previous two rounds against Sabalenka, who's number seven seed in the fourth round looking very sharp in that absolute, you know, artillery power battle that was that match, (laughs) and then looked incredibly sharp and also, like, very athletic in her her quarterfinal win against number two, Simona Halep. Like, those were very different sorts of opponents, and that she handled both with such aplomb. And, like, the mental side was more impressive for me against Sabalenka because that match was just, you know, everything was spraying everywhere. Sabalenka was making all sorts of all sorts of noises between enduring points and just a lot of sort of fireworks that Serena kind of kept her head and kept her cool through. And then against Simona, she just has to play, you know, a great defender, somebody who clobbered her the last time they played, let's remember, at Wimbledon. And Serena looked looked really sharp and is moving really well. She looks fitter than she has in years, which she admits to. Like it's uh it's pretty cool to see her and it it's yeah I don't know what that means for her match against Osaka to look a little bit ahead but like just on Serena first like she looks she looks darn well, good. Well, I, I mean I, I was in press with your colleague Karen Kraus and she asked Serena to be honest about her feelings after Wimbledon and losing that final to Simona Halep as she did sixteen eighteen months ago. And Serena was shooting her daggers from the dais and then basically told us that she didn't think about it at all. So I felt like those were mixed messages. But 
Um, mm. I had the surreal, distinct pleasure of watching both the Sabalenka match and the Halep match in person. And I actually went down into the press section, as you know, that's right behind Serena's box uh, during the Sabalenka match. And the athleticism, I mean, she is channeling her full Flojo in that cat one-legged mm-hmm. cat suit. And, you know, I, the, the messaging has been a little bit different. Like, sometimes she did work on her speed and footwork a lot, and sometimes she didn't, and it wasn't... Like, uh, it, that's not fully clear. What is clear, Ben, is that she is outstandingly fit, probably the fittest we've seen her since before she had Olympia. Let's be frank about it. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that she... That is that is no knock on the work that Serena put in in 18, 19, and 20, but she has now upped it another level because I think they realized in those slam finals, as you mentioned against Halep, the offense didn't work. The offense went away. The offense didn't win championships. A basketball a basketball mm. phrasing you could take. Maybe it's in hockey too. Defense wins championships. It's in a lot of sports, that cliche. Yeah, for sure. and so I think you can apply it now to Serena, and she's happy to run on court all day and I you know the quote of I, I haven't run that much or won l- those long of points since the summer of 1926 it, it's yeah. it, but it I I really think that she is she has turned that corner and I was talking to the AO podcast yesterday and I felt you know offense is Serena's home game and she's now really learning to win away games and for Serena to to change things up where she is in her career, uh, I mean, bow down. Like, she really has shown up just sort of in a different sphere this tournament, I've thought. There was a great interview she did post-match, or a few great moments of interview she did post-match with Renee Stubbs uh, after winning against Halep, which I have been trying to look for online, trying to sort of rip parts of, because there was one great quote she gave about her improved movement, where she said, like, I always basically, she said, I always basically used to be fast. Like, being not being slow felt unnatural for me. And so I feel like I'm being able to run and also extend points is, you know, getting back to who she probably used the third person because she often does like who Serena is or something along those lines, you know, like, and it's true when she was at her peak, you know, and gosh, that peak is, let's say the first peak, like circa O2, you know, or even circa 99, which won her first slam. Like she was very, very fast. Like she was a fast player and a powerful player. And that's what the Williams has really brought for the first time. They weren't either or, they were very much both, and uh, in terms of power and speed. Yes. So Serena had both, and yeah, you're right. The speed and the defense and the sort of Plan B tennis had really not been an option for her uh, in in the last several years. And nor was it something she necessarily really relied on a ton during like the second Serena Slam per se. It wasn't her main way of winning matches anyhow. But but against Halep especially, uh, there are a few long rallies that just like she was hanging with Halep in those long rallies and winning more of the long rallies. So super intrigued by all that. I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. You want no, to I, I just was going to say I was surprised when we started this Serena bit that you were you said you were most impressed with. I thought you were going to say Naomi Osaka because that is. Well, that's what I say. That's actually the feel I, on the ground is that people feel like Naomi Osaka has been playing the knockout tennis so, of this tournament. So let me say this. Sure. I think I've been most impressed by Serena, but I think Naomi is still the player to beat. Because I had higher expectations for Naomi going in. I thought Naomi was a player to beat pre-tournament, and that really hasn't changed my opinion on that. I mean, she's won 19 matches in a row now. She, what she did against Muguruza, where I don't think she played amazing in that match, in that fourth round match, but the way that she was so clear mentally when her back was against the wall, when she had to be at her best down two match points, 
I believe you called that match. Is that right? I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was that was good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, not hitting <laughs> another unforced error in the final twenty-two points of the match after spraying a few, obviously consistently through before that to be able to lock it down like that. I I think she is the player to be. I do think that Serena represents a whole different sort of challenge for Naomi and all different sorts of baggage. I'm not really even talking about 2018 US Open final. I'm just talking more about her having been a, a role model. And I remember yeah. thinking that when they played each other in 2019 in, I think, Toronto, Toronto. Canada. I think it was yeah. Toronto that year. Yeah. That, like, Naomi just didn't totally look like she wanted to win or that she felt. I don't know if that was about 2018, maybe hangover or what, but it just Naomi seemed tentative or didn't seem to have her name, same sort of her spark that she often can have on court competitive. Do you really think that's going to so, be a, an, an impact, though? I don't know. I'm yeah. just flagging it. I'm just saying that was what I saw the last time they played sure. each other. So I, I, I have to say, you know, out this time. sure. I have to say I, I did an interview today with ESPN radio and it was like two very like, you know, sports talking about 49ers football and Lakers basketball. And now we're talking about Serena and Naomi. And I was obviously appreciative to be on because I love talking about tennis yeah. whenever I can. But my basic message to them was that these two champions in very different parts of their career are actually playing like lights out tennis right now. And my hope is that obviously they bring that to yeah. to the semifinal. I think I think the one thing we have to watch out for is Serena did not serve well against Halep. And I think that was a little bit of a concern. And I don't think mm. she can get away with that against Osaka. I mean, Osaka has been really good on the return. And Wim Fissette has actually called that out to the press here that they've worked on Naomi's return. And so... I, you know, just looking at the X's and the O's, I think that Serena, obviously the movement helps, of course, the better the movement, the Flojo movement now that she's she's got that <laughs> moniker. And I think that it is, you're right. It, is it, you know, the the young Naomi who looks who looked up to Serena forever and will that play a factor? There's there's a lot of ways you can look at it. No, for sure. I, I do think Naomi... Yeah, like I said, it is the player to beat. I do think at their both at their possible at their respective peaks in twenty twenty one, I do think that Naomi's peak is probably higher. They both play their best. I pick Naomi. But you know, it, but I think Serena's been closer to her best in this week. I do. And so you're right, and and the, the serve was not amazing against second set against Sabalenka, especially the serve really yes, went off that in that too. middle set. But um I imagine that she'll be focused will be ready to know that she not that she didn't think this against how up in Sabalenka, but she'll know she has to be really, really special to beat a player like Naomi. And she really wants this. And I think she also probably knows that she really likes her chances segue in a final. If she gets to a final against a Brady or a Mukova. Yeah. Um, that's, that's definitely an undercard. I do feel like, and I, I, I say this, you know, obviously my own peril with Serena having been 0-4 in her recent finals and having not been honestly a great closer in Grand Slams late in her career in the States before maternity leave even you know starting with vinci honestly serena has not been a great at converting my favorite my sort of i think the most stelling not my favorite stack because it's disappointing but early in her career serena was when she made the first 28 times she made a slam semifinal she won the title 21 times wow so out of 28 semis she won the title 21 sure. times in the subsequent 11 times she's won it twice so after going, starting off 21 for 28, she's gone to two for 11, which is a different, yeah. like 75% to like 18%. It's it's a huge drop off. Hmm. The second semifinal between Jen Brady and Carolina Mukova. I don't know how totally how to call this one. I think Brady has 
is the better player, honestly, in terms of just like having produced this before, being a little more solid. But Mufa's beaten some really good players on the way here. She's beaten Mertens and Barty, who were both WTA champs in the week before in Melbourne. And she beat Carolina Pliskova 5-5. Five and five. Very comfortable all-court player. I think she could do a lot of things to disrupt Brady. Um, but Brady's looked really good, especially after having come out of the, the hard quarantine. So how do you how do you call this one, Nick? I'm not super... I would pick Brady, but not with an overwhelming amount of, of assuredness. I really appreciated Jen Brady, and I know you watched it too, coming into press today. And, and she looks relaxed and sort of like not totally comfortable yet. The Jen Brady and comfortable don't necessarily go together in, in the best, quirkiest yeah. of ways. But it was put to her like, you know, you're into the semifinals. How do you kind of keep the drive going? And, you know, the the real honest answer I feel like I got is, or that we got, is that she she doesn't feel satisfied being in the semifinals. And I think for Mukova to have, this is her first major semi. I, I think that the crowds are going to be back tomorrow, Ben. I mean, I, I'm hopeful for a few thousand people in the stands. I, I'm, I'm guessing most of them are going to show up for Serena and Osaka and then, you know, then go about their merry way. It's going to be a hot, humid day in, in Melbourne yeah. today. Today was tomorrow. Today was really steamy. Just adding that extra atmosphere, I think, will put that much more pressure on the match. I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that Jen Brady is playing a little bit better, but Mukova is tricky, right? And, you know, we've seen in the last couple of years the um, Vondroshevas of the world, they can sneak in and be able to win these kind of matches and, yeah, kind of spring an upset. So I, you'd go like 55-45 on Jen Brady, or at least I would. Yeah, maybe I would go with maybe like a fifty-seven forty-three, but yeah, something, something pretty, <laughs> pretty competitive there too. Question on the match today between Mukova and Barty. I remember last year when, gosh, it was only a year ago. It feels like so much longer ago when Kennan beat Barty in the semifinals of the Australian Open. Just feeling like the air kind of went out of the tournament because Barty had been the player of that tournament. She'd been the home favorite. So much local support for her, so much local energy for her. Obviously, everything is very different during a pandemic. So I'm wondering, just did it yeah. feel was it similarly deflating on the grounds today, having having Barty bow out in the quarters? For sure. I, I mean, yeah, it has been so weird, and I'm sure for everyone listening and watching at home right now, it's been the strangest of tournaments, right? Because it felt almost close to normal for those first five days, and then the last five days, the meat of the tournament, we've just had we've lost all of it and we've had no atmosphere yeah. and it's almost been stranger than the U S open because that was built for no fans and they were doing everything yeah. they could to create sort of this augmented reality or augmented reality of, of whatever. Yeah. And here it was built for fans and then they were taken away, but the, the, the air went out for sure a little bit. I was actually thinking like, can you imagine tomorrow would have just been like the, or excuse me, Thursday today would have been like the buzziest sort of like, Serena, Naomi, Ash Barty, but you know what? I think that's where we that's where we have to flip the page in what we do and talk about how freaking awesome it will be between Jen Brady and Carolina Mukova because it is a really good match. But yes, it definitely like deflated the local pop on the women's event for sure. I think it's a match that a lot of people who follow women's tennis and are sort of you know even just tennis purists are really excited about that match because they're both sort of like stylistic favorites their games are very admired and i hope it's a situation where like casual fans show up and they will in big numbers i think with the kind of promo it's already getting for osaka and serena and then maybe stick around and watch some brady 
and and Muhova and and to see what happens because there'll be two very different matches that both have potential to be satisfying or disappointing. You never know how these matches are going to go in their own ways. Um, can we pause? I kind of want to see the end of this men's thing that's happening here with 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 Sitsipas at six. So Nick, we just paused our recording to watch the end of the men's quarterfinals, which featured Stefano Sitsipas coming back from two sets down and like two like pretty lopsided sets down six three six two to beat Rafael Nadal in five sets. I was watching this match. Nadal was very much in control, or seemed pretty in control, until the tiebreak of the third set, where he started playing really bad, like missed a couple overheads, hit a couple another weird shank, just all of a sudden kind of got tight, and then just didn't seem like the physically fitter player. The rest of the way, sets a pass to look sharper, and then takes it. It still was not like it swung as hard as the first two sets had been. It was like still... I think four and five. The second set, yeah, yeah. The second, the final set was seven five, so not by any means a blowout from there. But uh, yeah, it was a big win for Sitsipas in his career. Yeah, well, we've got that group chat that we have with a few people, and Pam Shriver's on it, and she said, "Who do who do we think is going to win this this fifth set?" And you and I both weighed in saying Sitsipas, mostly just because physically he looked better than Rafa in the fifth set. And I think that's been indicative of men's tennis over the last, what, decade? Is Novak Djokovic has continuously been the fittest, most talented tennis player in the world. And at the majors is best of five. And I mean, you can really see Sisapas even in person here, Ben. I mean, he's he is a specimen and he is even, you know, the shoulders are broad. He's so fit. And you can tell the other night, I, I think you retweeted it when Berrettini pulled out. I actually went, I happened to walk by his court. Yeah. And he was practicing. And I just stood there and, and watched practice for a good 15 minutes. He is a beast. Like, and, I'm, yeah. I've been around, similarly, I've been around obviously pro tennis players for a long time, you know, and they are obviously elite athletes, but he is the one person i think most repeatedly i'm sort of like whoa just at like physique just in terms of just in frame because he's yeah. like tall and his shoulders are so broad and wide and then his like waist is super narrow and then like he just looks like an action figure he he does and even tonight actually i was up in the rod laver our green room for the world feed and it was roger rashid and robbie koenig and yeah. he was just walking on court they were warming up for he and rafa and both of them were just like he is a a beast. He there the physicality and Rafa is not slightly built. I mean, Rafa took this game to a, another physical level when he made a splash in two thousand five, and it feels like Cisapas is is doing it and uh, again or or to an, another new level. Um, but yeah, just on that win, I mean, great stuff. Comes back from two sets to love down. I think he did it at the French Open. Obviously not against Rafael Nadal. Um, so that's a huge career win for him. You know, two years after beating Federer uh, yeah, and having that major it. win, he's had, it's been a long two years for him of like kind of figuring out exactly where he fits in the top of the men's game. I think this is a, a not a career changing win, but I think it's definitely a, a marker in his career as to what comes next for Cesar Pass. Well, I also think it's interesting, Marker, that things just aren't all that static currently in the men's game. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not getting a Nadal-Djokovic final, as we so often have. And, you know, the big three have still won, what is it, like, every slam, save for the one that Djokovic got defaulted from since the beginning of 2017, right? So Djokovic is still in this tournament, obviously, he can still win it, and that would feel like maybe, like, chalk on some level. 
but it hasn't been and even if you want to throw like team as sort of the new like some people call them the new member of the big three with that are out or like a big four with the murray sort of fading off like team also did not do well this tournament with physical issues they had against Dimitrov that knocked him out in the fourth round. Yeah, there's some some sh- some room here, and, and Djokovic certainly did not look as inked into winning the, the trophy through a lot of his first five matches with his physical issues, or at least from the third match on against Fritz. There are definitely question marks about Djokovic. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I, 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 mean, mean, I don't know totally where to finish that thought, but just, yeah, it's uh, no, it feels like thought. things are a little bit in flux. Yeah, yeah, they are. And I mean, you look at a player like Aslan Karatsev, who has had a breakthrough in the last two weeks and has come from qualies, has come from having such a great year in the challenger circuit, as I've learned in this in the past few months, and is playing with confidence. But when you give a guy that opportunity, Ben, to swing for the fences and to beat the likes of Schwartzman, Felix, Coming through against Dimitrov, obviously Dimitrov was hobbled in those, you know, last three sets. You've got to give him an opportunity. And now we've got Medvedev against Sisapas. I mean, those are two pretty delicious semifinals just for all of the different things that are happening among those four players. Yeah, let's talk about the first semifinal too. You mentioned him before, Aslan Karatsev. Uh, there would have been no reason for anyone to have heard of this guy before the Australian Open. Uh, let me make that very clear. But he has done incredibly well at this tournament. I think people f- really first started taking notice of him in the second round, actually, when he beat Igor Garasimov 6-love, six 6-1, six six love which is not a scoreline you see in men's tennis very often, especially from a qualifier to win with that scoreline. Uh, and then from there on, he he then he turned around and beat Schwartzman 3-3-3. Three, three, and three. He came back from two sets down to beat uh, Felix Ojeale-Assim, which was the first match of his that I actually watched. I watched the final like two sets of that. Yeah. And he, he's just like a super pure ball striker. He's he's very athletic. He's he's very positive. His, his mentality seemed good. And one of those players where you wonder, you know, what was holding this back, guy back for so long? Because he, not just that he wasn't, you know, winning matches at slams. He'd never played a Grand Slam main draw before. This is his first one. And he hadn't even played that many slam qualities. Like, he hasn't played, yeah. spent that much time in the top 200 for a guy who is, I think maybe he played, what, like maybe six slam qualities in his career or something like that, which isn't isn't a very high number. Around there, it might be eight or something, I'm not sure. But around roughly six, let's say. And, yeah, but now at 27, he's suddenly unstoppable. It's one of those things almost like, I want to call it like Bianca Andreescu syndrome, where you've seen so little of this person that no, almost none of us have ever watched him lose a match. <laughs> so <laughs> we don't really know like what it's what it's going to look like when he goes off. And obviously, he has a super tough test in the semis against Novak Djokovic, who's going for his ninth title in Melbourne and and his pre-tournament favorite, probably even more so now. Or actually, I don't know if, if more so now, but we can talk about that in a bit. But. Yeah, do you think there's reasons for this match to be interesting, or is it going to get blown off the yeah. board? Yeah. Oh no, could, I, I don't. I, I don't know what to expect. Actually, I, I, I could see it being ugly, but I could also see it being interesting. Well, I I don't know what to expect either. I mean, I, my hope for him is that he comes out swinging the way that he has in every previous match, because there's reasons to build up against him for Schwartzman, Oje Aliasim, and Dimitrov. Those three matches for sure, and he did he didn't take the bait. I think those were on John Kane. MCA and Rod Laver. And so to go to those three big stadiums and to beat these much more experienced players, you know, even for Felix, that two sets to love lead, just he he continued to back himself. I, I was watching his press conference after the quarterfinal 
win and just listening to him kind of uh, yeah i think it's a little cultural but just being very unassuming of like yeah i, I like this is i don't i don't know He's how to very kind of answer of fact. yeah he i mean i think you know karen kraus was there obviously matt fetterman willie from espn who's always trying to ask these like very introspective uh, featurey questions and he just wasn't i think he's just kind of like i'm confident right now and confidence i, I think you know, you, you look at Jen Brady, I think she's playing really confident tennis. You, you, I think that cannot, you cannot undersell that enough in our sport. And I think, I think that's where some of the, maybe the criticism of, of myself comes in, of the challenger level being such good tennis, because it, it's really good tennis. And so when someone has, I'm, I'm not, I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying when someone has confidence out of that level and they bring it into the next level, they can play with these guys, which I I understand by all means. I'll, I'll put it this way. Like, I don't think that the guys in the challenger level are often missing that much, right? Oh. Because like you go to a challenger, especially when you see this, you know, when we've seen things like uh, Nisha Corey or Vavrinka or whoever else like drop down to the challenger level for a week or two after doing injury rehab. Yeah. Like they don't go and like immediately clean up everything easily or even Andy Murray is doing it now a bit in his career. Like it's not like they go and they're like completely gods among peons and pigeons and they're just like absolutely destroying folks. No, these are still very credible professional athletes who who are all the best player in their town and in their state you know, country, oftentimes growing up or were great juniors or whatever it was, people with really immense talent, but they had whatever, for whatever reason, have not been able to make the breakthrough. And there is something that you can see, you know, obviously we sort of, we can recognize at this point in our career, even as non, we're not technical tennis experts, either of us per se, but we no. do can recognize intangibles really well, Yes, I think. And you see that sometimes those guys don't have those sorts of things. And we just don't have a sample size on, on Karatsev yeah. enough to know exactly what his are and especially I think honestly with the with the match against Dimitrov fading out the way it did because of injury sure. and get a real test of him on that kind of stage. But one um, thing I one thing I've been talking about in the commentary booth with a couple of my experts, the people that I'm you know speaking with yeah. about the matches is the discussion about going pro at 18, 19 or going to college and all of them talk about what wins can do for confidence and if you're going to go the college yeah. route you can build that confidence over two or three years. You can get a lot of wins. I mean, that's, again, that's a Jen Brady example. So for Karatsev to have all of that confidence from the last few months and how well he has played and building that up into qualies, into the main draw, into the second week, into the semifinals, yeah. it's my, it's mind-blowing in a lot of ways because we ha we don't have that data previously from him at the slams. So listen, I hope he can come out and play that kind of tennis against Djokovic. I think that's going to be really hard because I think Djokovic makes those kind of players question themselves, question what they're doing. He's going to come out. He's going to try to break right out of the gates and just let him know that he's playing the world number one, the eight-time champion at this tournament. It, it's going to be a really tough test for sure. Especially having, especially having had his last two matches be crowdless to suddenly go from like no crowd to like night session night session on, and let me tell Lever. you ben melbourne is ready to have a good time it is going yeah. to be an atmosphere on thursday night inside it could RLA. actually be interesting too because melbourne's Trust ready to have me. a good time and also in their limited chances they made it very clear they're not very fond of Djokovic these days and so if they really start rallying behind this ultimate 
like journeyman guy to use that phrase sure. i think it's you know people 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 think of it like a slur but it's it it fits his if if you think it has any place in tennis it fits him for sure because he's never been close to anything and he's never been that close to top 100 before like the last you know runs that he's been on um so yeah it'll be interesting to see what he can do it could be an absolutely wonderful cinderella story if he make him competitive i also would not be surprised if this matches one two and two you know, I I can expect anything from this from this guy. That's again, they, like I said, the Andrescu thing, the the complete lack of data and not knowing his ceiling or his limits makes it makes it exciting. Yeah, I think the the tagline for the tournament this year is "Impossible is nothing" or "Nothing is impossible." Or I mean, it, it very it's an much, Adidas tagline, it, but yeah. Very, well, it, uh, yeah, the, the Australian Open is using some sort of phrasing around that, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. very much fits him. Yeah, no, for sure, he's definitely. Definitely in all this time where there are sorts of limits on people and what you can do and how long you be outside. Like he is, he is limitless. And I believe, I haven't heard him talk about this, but he was on the list of people who I saw were in hard quarantine. I haven't heard him discuss that, but I think he was. I I was never clear on that either. Yeah. So yeah, he was on the list that I had that actually Timani Carriel cobbled together for us, which was a huge help. He got like 60 something of the people on the 72. He figured. Yeah, we tried to get it here and it was, you know, the tournament just said that's not something we're going to. Yeah. Anyway, but I think Karatsev, I, w- I wish he had been asked about that. But uh, anyway, the winner of that match will play the winner of the ma- next match, next day's match, which just got booked. Um, a wonderful battle uh, that's been sort of one of the more amusing matchups in terms of sort of on-court tension, at least, in the in the next-gen cohort. Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas against Daniel Medvedev, number four versus number five. Our number five is number four in that order. I guess you want to put them in respective orders. Medvedev has really owned this rivalry. He's been very, very good against Tsitsipas, uh, beating him repeatedly, beat him at Miami, obviously in that infamous, man, you better shut your fuck up match. And then uh, <laughs> he beat him later that year at the U.S. Open. A few, and I think later that year in Basel, I believe, at the top of my head also. It's not been a good matchup for, for Tsitsi. And I don't know that it will be this time either because Medvedev looks great. Like, Medvedev looked so good against Andre Rublev. In that quarterfinals today, didn't give Rublev's been great, and he did not have like was not competitive in the second two sets of that match. Really, um, thoughts on, thoughts on this match? We just saw what Sitsipas did; had a big emotional win over Nadal. I don't know how he comes back from that exactly, or if he feels you know free and inspired or whatever. Well, I think I, I think yeah. yeah, I think we're, now we're into the territory of the tournament where you know Sitsipas played six to eight hours after Medvedev and. You know, I know that they have the day off, but that was a five-hour, four, five-set, four-hour match for Sisapas. I mean, I, I know he had a walkover in the previous round, but I think that Medvedev, to me, is just playing standout tennis. Uh, on the, on that on that pure physical toll side, I will add that mm. Medvedev played in the afternoon heat. It was very hot when Medvedev played. Yeah, it was and pretty Medvedev human was cramping to at the end of his match. Too. Yeah, yeah. yeah Medvedev called enough. a medical timeout after he'd won the match before his encore interview. <laughs> Sam Sam Groth was like, "That's a first, uh, a post match yeah. massage, pre interview." Yeah, listen, I I think that I'm really excited for this matchup, and I actually I can't remember if it was your interview with Cesar Pass or maybe Blair's, one of Cesar Pass's pre Australian Open interviews. He did a few was discussing Medvedev. I think it was Oh, that was you. mine. That was mine. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And basically him saying, like, listen, I, I'm going to give myself a chance. Like, I know I have a losing record against this guy. It's not been a, a good, you know, I, I haven't done, tennis-wise, I haven't done well. I mean, there's the Miami drama and all of that, but that's almost three he years also, ago. He also said their relationship was sort of thawing and that Medvedev waved at him during practice during <laughs> quarantine, which I, I love that. I love that detail. The, the wave <laughs> meant something. Hey, no, I, I just... 
if we talk about, you know, people being excited about Mukova and Brady purely for tennis stylist, you know, the style of it, this obviously has much more big headlines written around it. But for for those of us that love to kind of just sit down and, and consume the game at this level, I, I just think that Medvedev is, again, going to try to confound Pass. I think Pass found, from what I saw tonight against Rafa, he found his front foot better. He was aggressive, and that's the kind of tennis that he needs to play against Medvedev, but needs to stay on it over five sets and... Daniil makes that really damn difficult for anyone that he takes on. Speaking of just consuming sort of like pleasure of tennis point of view, like I just love watching Medvedev hit the ball so much. I love watching those limbs flying around everywhere and what he does and how he just looks like such hell to play. Like seeing Rublev, and I'm not someone who's like a big, like, oh, I love best of five, love watching guys suffer and collapse on the court thing. But seeing Rublev just like struggling against Medvedev and like being unable to like muster anything and like break through his walls. Like, and Rublev was looking Rublev good a in this great tournament. great player. Yeah. And Rublev yeah. was not even playing that bad, but like all of Rublev's best shots weren't enough. That was just like, some. I, I say that to ask the question, can Medvedev win this tournament? Yes. Well, I really think so. I, th- the one big scheduling problem I have with the Australian Open is the 24-hour separation between yeah. the two men's semis. I, I just I don't think that sets because if you have a, fa- a long five-setter for Medvedev and Tsitsipas on Friday night, then you're not getting up. On, you know, you're going to try to sleep late on Saturday. It, it really I think it really does play a factor. That said, ben. I wish that I wish they went. I think U.S. Open has that right. Put the women semis as a night session on Thursday, Thursday, and then the men it's like a sort of afternoon into evening session on the Friday. Yeah, but you know what? The way that Medvedev finished twenty twenty is the way that he's picked up in twenty twenty one. I mean, we saw the ATP Cup. Obviously, Russia purely dominated, and I think that I I I put the question to him after his fourth round win the other day about not coming to a slam thinking or wanting or hoping to make a deep run, which I think he was doing, you know, a a year ago, two years ago, but expecting it and not being surprised by it. And he just said it's been experience. Like he's learned how to do it with the U.S. Open final in 2019, semis last year at the Open. Um, I think that he's really ready. And to, to me right now, he is the player that has the better chance of beating Djokovic. If Djokovic is to win, the the one that has the better chance of beating Djokovic in the final. I agree. Beat him in London and he's won like an insane stat for sorry, for Medvedev. He's won like eleven straight matches against top ten opponents. Yes, exactly. Well and it it goes along with the stat of Sasha Zverev not being able to be a top ten player. I mean it just shows you at the majors, it just shows you that Oh and nine now, right? Yeah, I didn't know the exact think, yeah. stat, but just hasn't yeah, done like it. And I, I just, you know, Medvedev to me and the way that he has crafted um, his career was Jill Savara. And, you know, the, there was a time, you know, you're you're referencing Miami. We remember the, the coins at Wimbledon, how that was a grotesque sort of scene that he had on court. I, I think that he's kind of come around the bend. And I'm not saying that, you know, he's this perfect, well-rounded individual. We're all flawed. But I feel like he's kind of found this next gear in himself. And I think he'd like to show us that on the tennis court on the Grand Slam stage. He's matured. And I think that yeah. was, I think that's something that I think maybe hasn't actually been explored enough at the Medvedev 
sort of storytelling is that like when he was first breaking into top 100 he was unbelievably unpopular on tour people he really was off-putting to a lot of people and i would get a lot of like dms from like coaches and like occasionally players being like because remember there was one match where he got almost got into like altercation with steve johnson in washington once and like i was sort of live tweeting it and right exactly you're making a face like steve johnson come on (laughs) yeah but like i got these messages like yeah he did this another time too and he was also did this all these matches i hadn't heard about that were like sort of outer court medvedev dust-offs that he'd had previously um so he's definitely you know um been less yeah i wonder has that not been explored I i think you're right because actually, I've spoken with a few people on site here too. Karen, Karen's someone I check in with often because yeah. I love her so much. But the commentators as well and, and people really talking about, you know, people want to read his transcripts and what did he say on court. And he's become someone that I think has been really earnest and honest both at once. Yeah. And it's a great and interview. For the, for the better. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure that was ever lacking, but it was more that like just he came in really... I think really ready to play like sort of mind games or like playing like I don't want to say playing dirty, but just sort of like being willing to go below the belt during matches. Let's put it that way, and like mm-hmm. just sort of not being a super. And now his game is to the point where he doesn't need to do that stuff. Maybe it's what it is, no. as much as anything. No, nope. he's like he's not. He's very secure in his tennis right now, and in his mm-hmm. talent and his, his his results, and that's showing off in uh, in his play. And yeah, he he might be just a few days from winning his first Grand Slam. It would feel. Very much like it was something that was not out of nowhere. He built up to it, winning you know Paris and London and making the US Open final two years ago. Now, like it's it. There's very much yeah. a, a red. Was he your pick from the start of the tournament? No, my pick was Djokovic. Oh. It's just it's Australia and it's always Djokovic. Yeah, fair uh, enough. But I... now, but now I'm but now I'm a lot less uh, uh-huh. sold on that, especially with Djokovic's. I I, I okay, the other thing I'll say on Djokovic, I've been really annoyed at the level of skepticism that Djokovic's injury has gotten. Yeah, I don't understand that. Like we it, all well, saw Djokovic Do you not get understand it? I mean, okay, the skepticism. I understand is... it, but but am annoyed by it. Is that better? Of course, because, same. Because we all saw Djokovic get hurt or an acute moment of injury against Taylor Fritz. South Fetty wasn't that match. He said people were making it sense. Well, he shouldn't have said his muscle was like torn. Uh, first of all, torn is like okay, that is a word used to mean certain things. But any sort of strain is a degree of tearing mm. of a muscle. So sure. it might have been a minor tear he didn't know he hadn't had an ultrasound at the point when he came into press or whatever you know after after that match or he on court whatever it was where he made those remarks so on i don't court, i don't yeah. begrudge him i don't begrudge him getting better faster than he thought he might you know or, or playing less you know with less uh, impairment than he thought he might and i'm sure mm-hmm. he's also playing through pain and are on tons of painkillers or whatever and yeah. i do wonder if that at some point catches up to him in this tournament whether it's against medvedev or karatsev and that's the really interesting thing. If, if Djokovic comes out and he's in physical trouble against Karatsev, and Karatsev gets a second straight match where he's playing like a compromised yeah. big player, that, that's where that match gets really interesting. Yeah. So, Nicholas, thank you for being on here. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Listen, we started in day 10. We started in day 10, and now it's day 11 officially. So you have um, a few, or you're hoping to get some sleep now, but uh, as you have some time off in Melbourne, what are you looking forward to doing most in a open society as melbourne gets out of its circuit breaker lockdown yeah the circuit breaker lockdown was real guys i mean i know people could feel that from the the broadcast coverage but like i mean even walking from the city i'm staying at in in the middle of downtown melbourne it's like it was a ghost town and it's twelve twenty now so that's over thankfully i mean it's 
I've just been so impressed by this whole thing. Like there's still masks, there's still social distancing. They have treated COVID like quite the opposite as the country that you and I live in, which I, I just, mm -hmm. and you know, even Australians, I, I think Victorians have been really frustrated by this lockdown because they feel like it keeps happening. But I'm gonna go for a run on the Yarra River tomorrow, which I can't wait for without a mask Lovely. on. <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, Flat White Baby and go watch Serena and Naomi. I can't wait for that. Go watch both women's semis, honestly. Yeah, just trying to trying to send back some summery good vibes for all of for everyone and especially anyone in the States who's going through this horrible yeah, winter Texas, snap yeah. that is like very very real. Yeah. So stay safe out there, y'all. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Thanks to y'all. Thank y'all for listening. And thank y'all especially for supporting NCR on, uh, well, before we start to get to my stuff, go follow Nick if you don't already at Nick McCarvel on Twitter. Enjoy his great commentary uh, next time it's available because you're done for the Australian Open in the booth. But next time you crop up, it was a delight hearing you. You really were a, a joy to listen to. Thanks, Ben. I'm, Thanks for the support. Listening remotely. Yeah, I appreciate oh, for it. Sure. For sure. No, really. It, would, it, it was a joy to be in, in the, the booth. booth. Uh, thank you for supporting us on Patreon. If you want to do that, anybody, patreon.com slash no challenges rating. You can join such great people, including our Slam Champ backers who think every episode, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Anna Valender, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber, and our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J-O-D. It's even like your eyes, eyes went up at, at Pam Shriver. I guess reactions from people too. <laughs> Um, yes, but she's, she's been wonderful. And uh, yes, thank you, Nick. Enjoy the rest of your time in Melbourne. Have a good... How long are you spending down there before you fly home? Three weeks. <laughs> Yay! I'm really, that's, I, I wanted to hear something like that. That's good. For me, it would be not? so hard to leave. It'd be so hard to leave like a place that has COVID, like essentially like a pandemic-free island, and go back to pandemic winter life. I would not be... I would be so it'd be so hard to come home. So I'm really glad you're staying for a while. Glad to hear that. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy about it. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, enjoy enjoy the rest of the tournament, and thank you for being on here. Bye. Got the voice to make your booty go. Take that, rewind it back. Ursa got the.